If you're graduating tomorrow, say praise the Lord. If you're glad someone's graduating tomorrow, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is a delight to be gathered in God's presence this day and in this special occasion as we remember God's faithfulness in bringing our graduates to this point uh, before their sacred journey begins this next chapter tomorrow. Our text in uh, John 20 is one of those places where I hope that a certain file in your head has been deleted. Because when you go to seminary, uh, there are many new files that you put into your brain, and there are some files professors have to delete. And one of the deleted files is the idea that the Great Commission of Jesus Christ only appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What was actually read before us is the Great Commission according to St. John. Now, Matthew's Great Commission is one that in every way resonates with our whole being as truly a proper Great Commission, where Jesus gathers disciples together with probably 500 present in Galilee and says, go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now that's a great commission. Wow. You can just see the, like, the dry ice going, you know, the, the white robe, everything. It's just unbelievable. There it is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You go over to Mark chapter 16, and Jesus again, this powerful moment that climaxes the gospel where Jesus says, go and, and into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who does not believe shall be condemned. This powerful, definitive, glorious statement by Christ thrusts us out into the world. Now that is a great commission. You go over to Luke chapter 24, verse 46, and there Jesus says that it's written that Christ must suffer and rise again on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins we preach in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And that brings right over to Acts 1.8, where he then says to them uh, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that is a great commission. But John comes to the whole thing so differently. John comes to us more pastorally. This is more of an intimate moment of Christ with his disciples. In fact, John's whole gospel kind of ends more unusually than what we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, doesn't it? John's gospel ends more extendedly, and there's things that have to be tied off even after the resurrection. It says a lot about the pastoral heart of Jesus, doesn't it? Because in John's gospel, there's three things that must be dealt with. The first is in this text here, where here they are, post-resurrection, post the glorious empty tomb, post-cross and the payment of our salvation, and we find the disciples in fear behind locked doors. This is like being post-graduating from Asbury and yet being in fear behind locked doors. It doesn't seem possible. 
But there's things that happen, and even on this side of the resurrection, which can thrust the church into fear and dwelling behind locked doors. And Jesus is going to come into that. The second thing that happens in John at the end is that Jesus has this amazing encounter with Thomas. Because at this glorious appearance here in our text, which is the first, on the night of the resurrection, Thomas had gone down the street to get a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk at the convenience store. That's not in the text. That's a marginal reading. (laughs) But Thomas was not there. So he gets back, you know, in a minute. He had gone down there, and he had the milk and the the cheese and the bread. And and they're like, you can't believe what happened. We've seen the Lord. Doesn't that just happen like this to you? You know, you're gone when these kind of things happen. And Thomas, his very, you know, human moment, says, I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Unless I see his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. And so Jesus, in this second encounter, he comes to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger into my hand. Put your hand to my side. Stop doubting and believe. And listen to this. And Thomas, that we have ridiculously dubbed Doubting Thomas. Thomas makes the most powerful declaration of the deity of Christ in the entire Gospels when he falls to his knees and says, My Lord and my God. Thomas may have started one week late, but look how far he went. Thomas actually ended up bringing the gospel farther than any of the apostles. In one of the most substantiated traditions, he brought the gospel all the way to India in 52 AD. I'm okay, I'm willing to give him that one week. Look what he did. But Christ has the pastoral heart to to encounter Thomas. And then thirdly, of course, is Peter at the end of John's gospel, where Peter had denied Christ three times. He had denied Christ and the Lord had said, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And when the, he denied Christ once, the cock crowed once. Kind of like a, a, a reminder. Peter, remember? But he hardened his heart. He still denied Christ two more times. He felt he had three rings of shame around him. He's the kind of person we'd write off and forget about. Finished in ministry. But instead, the Lord met with him, didn't he? And the Lord asked him not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? And Peter becomes the great rock, the confession of Peter upon which the church is built, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when Christ comes into our disciples' presence here in John, he comes right through these locked doors, right through this fear. It's a great reminder for us, isn't it? He'll penetrate through all of that, and he says, peace be with you. And then he gives them the great commission according to John's gospel. Be ready, because it's not the one you're expecting. It doesn't have the word go in, the, in there. There's no reference to like the nations of the world, any of that. But for John, this is, in fact, a powerful great commission. He says to them, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, if you know John's gospel, and I presume that all of our graduates, in fact, know John's gospel, but for those who may not know John's gospel, 
you will know that the number one way that Jesus refers to himself in John's gospel is as the sent one. It's the way he refers to himself or is referred to in John's gospel. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, or I came in, I was not sent into the world to condemn the world, to save the world. So many examples of this. There are 40 of these in John's gospel, and this is the 40th occurrence of this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So here Jesus is bringing us into continuity with his mission, and this is important for all of our graduates. We stand in continuity with the ministry of Jesus. Just as the Father sent him into the world, you are being sent into the world. We are the sent one. Just as Jesus was the sent one, the Father sent him into the world, we too are being sent into the world. This is one of the great gifts of God, that he continues to send his messengers, his ambassadors, his witnesses into the world. And that's exactly what we are. He then does something which is quite remarkable, and I think I'm uh, alerting this to you because it's Pentecost. And in Pentecost, we normally don't read a, this resurrection passage. We're already in the book of Acts, but John again does something that's quite unusual. In John's gospel, he actually doesn't want us to look at the cross and the resurrection and, and the ascension and the Pentecost as all these separate events. He wants to show us how in Christ they're all brought together. And in this very intimate moment, this is not public moments, you know, later on it'll happen in the upper room where, you know, tongues of fire are falling. But he actually brings them intimately in his presence and says he breathes on them. The breath, the ruach, the, the very breath of God. This is Jesus breathing on us. Think about it. Jesus breathing on us and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. I hope if you've learned nothing else at Asbury, you've learned despite all of the things you've learned, the texts that you've been able to exegete, learning Greek, learning Hebrew, church history, theology, counseling, pastoral care, church administration, all the things you've learned that you hopefully will never forget that despite all of that, we are impotent unless the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry. The church is facing challenges today which are, were unheard of 20 years ago. The church has lost its way. The church has become mired in endless darkness and evil. And it's the people of God that must stand up and call the church back to its own faithfulness. It's the people of God that must have the power of the Spirit to go out and be the anointed people of God in our world. And Jesus would again tonight breathe upon us the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is present in this passage. As the Father has sent me, I send you, and then breathes the Holy Spirit. The whole triune God shows up in this amazing great commission of John's Gospel. And then he finally concludes this text in verse 23 with a part of the uh, chapter that sounds like maybe something that's odd to us. He says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Wow. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. 
What's he talking about? What he is saying is, when we receive the mantle of the authority of God in our lives, and that's what we are, we are his ambassadors in the world, that's a holy, sacred responsibility to be holy people in the world. When we carry that responsibility, we have, we're actually given the authority to announce the gospel in the world. If someone comes to us and repents and believes the gospel, we have the authority to say to them, you are forgiven. Tonight you'll hear Jessica say it, you know, as the people of God who confess our sins, we are forgiven. That's the power of the gospel. And also to declare, to be fair as well, that those who resist the gospel will actually not be forgiven. They've not trusted in Jesus Christ. The power of this is truly amazing. When I was a young pastor, I had an experience, which I must admit, has only happened one time in my entire ministry. Someone made an appointment that really did surprise me. They made an appointment, and of course, as pastors or all through our ministries, we get hundreds of appointments. People come to see us for many, many things. So this man who was in our community, I didn't know who he was particularly, kind of vaguely knew who he was. He called up and said, I need to see you tomorrow. And I said, great. We set a ton up, and 10.30, he was there in my office. And I said to him, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, to my surprise, I made an appointment to get saved. I said, wow. That's amazing. I had never had so much an appointment to get saved. And I said, uh, well, that's wonderful. I'm happy to, uh, to announce the gospel to you and pray for your salvation. But I'm just curious, um, what, what brought this on? And he said, well, yesterday I was uh, with my father. He was a farmer working out in the farm. And I got into a dispute with my dad. And I lost my temper. And I literally struck my dad in the face, and he fell over a barbed wire fence. He said, my dad's fine, but when I looked at my dad on the ground, I realized I need to be saved. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> and so I prayed, and he got saved. <laughs> he never hit his father again. He really did get gloriously saved. It was amazing. But you know, what was great, I had, the, I had the privilege under the gospel to announce to him, you are forgiven. See, that's the great power that Christ releases to us today. And that's why John Wesley once said, give me a hundred men. So they would say, 50 men, 50 women. Give me a hundred of them. He said, I don't care if they are lay people or clergy, I don't care. Give me a hundred men filled with the Holy Spirit, totally committed to Jesus Christ, and we will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of God on earth. You see, that's the confidence of the gospel. It's not in us. We don't, it's not like, oh, we have organizational abilities. We have all these techniques that we do. No, it's the power of the gospel working through you and through us. And this is what I really pray that tomorrow, as we go through the academic ceremony, Many, many things will be said academically, but I hope through it all you see yourself as becoming and being the sent people of God and knowing and hearing your voice as the Father has sent me, even so, send I you. Thanks be to God. Amen.